Yeah, no longer neighbors, hosted by Chris and Aaron. Used to live next door, Dallas, Texas, representing. But then Aaron moved away. Yeah, that's the situation. So join the podcast, get in on the conversation. Yeah, yeah, authentic, real friends, I admit it. Still keeping the connection, it don't matter about the distance. You don't have to wait up, I'ma tell you straight up. Entertaining for sure, this is no longer neighbors. Yeah. Nothing sad this week, Aaron, right? I don't want to cry again. None of our listeners want to cry again. Let's think happy thoughts this time. They're they're all out of tissues at the grocery store anyway, so we need to be really careful. But we, you know, we opened up last week about some personal tragedies that uh, Aaron and I and, and our families have gone through uh, during COVID-19. Go back and listen if you ever do need a good cry. But moving forward, we're generally going to talk about either happy things or just plain interesting things, but nothing that's going to make you uh, need to dry your eyes at the end of an episode, I don't think. A lot to get to uh, in our current events segment here to uh, begin. Uh, Once we get done running down some of the news of the week, we will talk to our friends with the Major League Botball Gang. Uh, This is a community that I've been a part of for better part of two months now. Um, We've had no live sports, so we do what we can to have some semblance of what we love. And I love baseball. And I found my fix through this community. It's not only simulating the 2020 season in its entirety, It is general managers making trades, adjusting rosters, and what really appealed to me, it's live broadcasters doing every single one of these games. So I haven't had a game to work since March 11th, and I'm getting to actually exercise my broadcasting muscle a little bit, even if it is calling games that are happening in the virtual world. Yeah, that's unique. Most people don't practice their job when they're not working for whatever reason. <laughs> I can't imagine that anyone who uh, was, you know, not working during the pandemic was like, how can I, hmm, but, you know, that shows you love what you do. Well, I got to keep fresh. Awesome. I mean, honestly, if I went into the football season, having not done a single broadcast since mid-March, I would feel very rusty. I would not feel comfortable with my voice and my cadence and everything. So this allows me to, even if it's just one fake Rangers game a week that I'm doing, I get to work on my craft, what I love to do. So yeah, it's goofy. I mean, it's video games. It's goofy. It's, I met, I, and we'll talk about it. I admit I'm a nerd completely when it comes to baseball and when it comes to broadcasting. But hey, you know, I may as well embrace what I am. Yeah, we have some pretty good topics this week, though. It's been a news-heavy week. Social media has been full with uh, a number of things to talk about, so much that each night I don't know where to start reading. Well, let's start with sports, since uh, we're talking a lot of baseball. But it's, it's football that we'll begin with. Uh, the Washington NFL team has finally announced, and this should have happened in my eyes forever ago, 
uh, they are dropping the nickname Redskins. And at the time that we're taping this, we don't know what the new name will be. It'll probably come out here in the next few days. But, you know, the owner, Dan Snyder, has claimed for years that we will never change the name. And he specifically said to a reporter, you can put that on all caps, never, we will never change this name. And what happened with the murder of George Floyd and all of the racial unrest finally drove this name change. And it wasn't because Dan Snyder, who by all accounts is a terrible human being, it's not that he felt some kind of new level of consciousness or really believed that it was the right thing to do. It was because his sponsors started to pull out because they were getting pressure. And that's ultimately the driver for anything, right? It's money. Yeah, I mean, sports is still a business and it's huge business. And teams can't survive without sponsors and partners. So I believe it started with the stadium sponsor FedEx Mm -hmm. talking about wanting to remove their name and some of the other big sponsors because most stadiums have a title sponsor and then others. And then you had Nike say, we're not going to sell your merchandise. So that's a pretty big deal when the largest sports uh, clothing company in the world says we're not going to sell it. And then I think even Amazon and possibly some other retailers said, yeah, we're not going to put your stuff on our site. So at this point, there was really no other option for Dan Snyder to make if he wanted to still own a football team. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people, and I think maybe it's just angry Twitter people. I, I don't really don't know. I haven't heard anybody in person say this, but then again, during COVID-19, I don't get to see anybody in person. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know really the percentage of my friends who would say this, but you know, why is Snyder, you know, bending to the mob? Why is he letting this happen? Well, because you can't survive because no company is going to put itself in a position to get the kind of ridicule that FedEx believed they were going to start getting. They thought FedEx start, it thought it was going to start losing business, which is why it demanded the change. Nike maybe felt like it was the right thing to do. Maybe some of these companies in some form or fashion thought they were doing the right thing. And you'll have all these detractors from the change point to a survey that was done by the Washington Post four years ago that surveyed Native Americans. And according to that, nine out of 10 don't feel offended by the name Redskins. Uh, I can't speak to the the accuracy of that poll. I can only speak to how I feel about it. And I felt it was wrong. I felt it was a slur. And I've heard enough natives, even if it's just a very small handful, say that this is wrong and it should change. And I, for one, you know, people say, okay, what is this going to do? What good is this going to do? Is it going to be anything positive? And I'll tell you one, my son growing up when, when he's watching football on a Sunday afternoon, he will not hear a racial slur on TV for three hours every Sunday. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I have family members who grew up in that area or, you know, their, their parents or grandparents grew up in that area. 
And like anyone who's into football, they're attached to their team. And that comes with being attached to the name and the logo. I can imagine someone who was raised, you know, a Cowboys fan would be pretty upset if they, you know, changed it from the star and, and, you know, their colors or whatever it may be. But in reality, we've talked about this and we talked a, a bit with Bob in episode one and also about our own feelings. 2020 is a very different place than 50 years ago. And that doesn't mean that it was right 50 years ago. Obviously, we're saying um, it's not. But I think we have to come to this realization that it's okay for people to grow and to learn and to change their minds. And so the same thing applies in sports. And the NFL has had to go through a growing experience the last couple of years just like America's had to go through a growing experience. And so I think that this is finally the time when a change that should have been made a long time ago is being made. But I understand people who are attached to their team, right? And the team name and they've grown up with it. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Hopefully the new one, new name is a good one. Um, I've heard they, you know, have some top candidates, but there's some trademarking right. uh, issues there because there's been, I don't know if you heard this, Chris, but there was a gentleman who bought up a bunch of team names. A for squatter. Washington. Yeah. And so I think they're probably working through all of that. But that being said, I just come back to those fans who are really upset by this and say, I, I understand the tradition, but number one, wouldn't you rather your team name not be involved in controversy? One, because it's the right thing, but two, because it distracts from football, right? Um, but also, I mean, sports is a business, like I said, and why would any business want to have something that's controversial? It's always puzzled me when businesses take a super controversial stance. And I don't mean businesses shouldn't do things that are right. I think that they, in this case, the Redskins are finally making the right decision, no matter what their motives. But in general, I think that less offensive team names are a good thing. Well, the Redskins are going to end up, whatever they become, they're going to sell a ton of merchandise because of, I imagine the vast majority of those loyal fans you talk about are going to want gear in the new team name. And then they're also going to sell to a whole new audience who hadn't paid attention before and think this is a good thing. They changed it. I'm going to support it and go out and get that merch. But, you know, for me, you know, the, the working more closely in college athletics than I do pro, you know, you saw this in the NCAA several years back. I think it's more than a decade ago now that they set some rules for uh, hosting postseason competition and maybe even participating in it I, I don't remember the exact thing but it, it caused most NCAA teams to change if they had a nickname with Native American imagery the only exceptions were if you had some kind of agreement with a local tribe so the Florida State Seminoles remain the Utah Utes remain but the UL Monroe Indians had to change. They're now the Warhawks. The uh, Arkansas State Indians are now the Red Wolves. And uh, in previous years, you saw some other changes. Stanford changed. St. John's changed. And um, probably the lone holdout later on was North Dakota. And they're like, you know, we don't care if we don't get these uh, 
add-ons were just going to stick with the Fighting Sioux, but uh, they eventually changed and are now the Hawks. Um, I think the next one to go, and rightfully so, is the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I think Christopher Columbus had that wrong from the get-go. He thought he landed in India, called them Indians, and somehow that stuck. And it's just plain wrong, always has been. And not to mention the genocide that ensued from Columbus and everybody that came in after him um, to eliminate uh, such millions and millions of Native people. Uh, Braves, I can somewhat see being okay. I don't love it, but I can see that it's at least trying to honor uh, Native people, chiefs the same way, but Indians get rid of it. It hasn't been a great week for the Redskins overall. There was also a bombshell report that's come out initially by the Washington Post and been picked up pretty much by everybody that when looking into the Redskins, there were a lot of things uncovered that really weren't that savory. Notably, there were about 15 women so far that have come forward that said while working for the Redskins, they were sexually harassed by scouts and particularly members of the inner circle of Dan Snyder, the owner. And so the news has kind of gone from bad to worse. And Dan Snyder, who already was kind of not beloved by many people, um, has another kind of press nightmare on his hands now. And there have been allegations about cheerleaders being mistreated in previous years and a, a lot of other things. It's just overall the toxic nature of that organization has uh, has gone on for a very long time. And, you know, I, I really do hope for the good of the game and the good of football in Washington and the good of everybody that works for that organization that uh, a change happens at the ownership level. Maybe, I mean, the NFL could be, could very well force him to make a sale, which he'll end up pocketing millions, if not a billion dollars from selling the team. But uh, in the end, a leadership change would be a good thing. Talking about brand controversies, that wasn't the only one this week. This is a little bit obscure, but there's been a big hubbub around the Goya Foods brand. So this reminds me of my childhood a bit as I come from a Hispanic background, at least on my mother's side. And we always had um, the seasoning in our house from Goya, which is how Puerto Rican folks and other folks make their rice. And so I grew up around that brand. It's very familiar but it's not something I think probably most people think about a lot, right? It's not, you know, something you might think about when you go into the grocery store, unless you're of a Hispanic background, I'm going to get some Goya. However, this week, everything kind of exploded when the CEO made an appearance with President Trump. And essentially, I'm going to paraphrase here, but went on to talk about how proud he was or honored he was to be, you know, there with President Trump and that he was a great president. And what happened after that, as you can imagine, in the polarized climate that we're in, was that immediately the far left for sure was calling for a boycott of Goya Foods. And I've always found boycotts really interesting. We've seen this in the past with Chick-fil-A, 
We've seen it uh, on one side. We've seen it with Nike when some folks were upset. Chris, what are your thoughts on boycotts and brands and how that usually works out? I mean, for me, it's not something that I would generally participate in over something this minor. I think people, you know, I'm not, we talked about this before. You and I aren't stopping our friendships with people based on which political party they fall on. I mean, we have family members who are on different sides of the spectrum and we still get along with them and love them and same for friends. And, you know, if a president of a corporation loves the president of our nation, great. That's not going to make me buy his product any less, you know. Um, but at the same time, I, I saw uh, Senator Cruz saying something about how the boycott was wrong. And he, for one, spoke up and said he was going to boycott Nike back in the day. So obviously, you know, he's fine with boycotts when he supports the cause, but not in this case. Um, ultimately, a boycott is free speech. Your money is your speech in this case. And I'm I, not going to be something I take part in myself in this particular instance, but if somebody says, you know, I don't want to give my money to a corporation that has a leader that supports this person, I, I can understand that. Yeah, it's always an interesting issue because like, like I said, I, I don't, or like you said, I don't necessarily disagree with the concept, but it's very difficult to really make a change. What we typically see in these boycotts, I know we saw, saw it in Chick-fil-A, we saw it in Nike and even in Starbucks, is that the opposite effect happens and it's happened here, which is there's a lot more people on the other side that then get excited about a product. And so in this case, President Trump's fans started buying Goya and all of a sudden you're seeing it sell out on shelves, right? So you had the opposite effect yeah. that you were trying to have. And then usually what ends up happening is that everybody forgets about it and just goes back to whatever their normal buying habits are. There might be a couple holdouts, but not anything that's going to impact a major corporation. No, it ended up being a great thing because cleared the shelves, not just for personal use, but the food banks all over the country have been flooded with these uh, canned food items from Goya, and that's going to benefit a lot of people. So ends up doing a tremendous amount of good. Um, you know, the ethics of the president posing with a can of Goya beans, whether it be that or any other product to seemingly do an endorsement for any product from the Oval Office. That, I mean, it feels wrong. And based on what I've been reading, it is wrong. But uh, you'd have to have somebody officially call him on it for violating ethics rules. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's actually going to happen. It's just going to be a lot of pissing and moaning that, you know, you get with a lot of other things that this president does. And obviously, on the other side, what you know, the Democratic side does, you'll, you'll get it. But ultimately, there's not going to be any action taken. Yeah, there's a lot of response. Initially, I, I first saw the photo of Ivanka, who had a photo of her with a can of beans. Yeah. And then President Trump was, I believe, in the Oval Office with a bunch of Goya products in front of him. And yes, people are raising the red flag. And, and I don't necessarily agree with what they did here. As you know, I'm not 
you know, a defender of either political party really at this point, but I just found it really interesting. But uh, I get people who say, Hey, we're still in the middle of coronavirus. Yeah. You know, the president, bigger issue. Yeah. The president hawking beans from the Oval Office for one of his buddies is probably not a good look. And I would tend to agree there. But I think this is probably going to have a very, very little effect on the Goya brand in the long term. Yeah. And it will be something that is no more than a distraction in a week where there's much bigger news. I'm not verified on Twitter. I've long been asking for it and hoping for it, thinking, you know, basically I need to get the plus taken off the end of the network that I normally work for. If I was doing games on real ESPN, I'd probably get that blue check mark on Twitter. But since I'm still primarily calling games for ESPN plus, I'm still the common man without the check mark. But in this case, it did me some good, which it meant that I was not among those who got hacked the other night on Twitter. And, you know, some of the most powerful people in the country had their accounts taken over. Bill Gates, Joe Biden, President Obama. Um, It was amazing. And the level of people that they were able to hack into. And I guess the question remains, you know, they put these Bitcoin scam messages on these accounts, which unfortunately, probably some people fell for. But it feels like now that they know they can do it, whoever perpetrated this may be able to go back in and do something even more significant. Yeah, so first I have to correct you, Chris, because this is a pet peeve of the Twitter fanatics and everybody gets it wrong, but it's not a blue check mark. What is it? Okay. It's a white check mark in a a blue blue circle. circle. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So just so you know. But yeah, this was, I mean, this was just an odd scam. I mean, the target was Bitcoin, which you think about, imagine if you had Joe Biden's Twitter account and all of the rest of the rich men in the world, what would you do? You could tank stock markets. You could start wars. I mean, there are theoretically a ton of things you could do, but instead they set out to get Bitcoin. And after all this hubbub, they only ended up with a little over $100,000. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing if you're, you know, orchestrating a major, major hack into Twitter. But Twitter, as you mentioned, you know, the verified account. So for those of you, you know, who might not be super familiar, Chris kind of talked about it. Famous people get verified, essentially. And if you have so many followers, you have a reason to be you know, a public figure, they want to make sure you're actually that person. And that's how you know it's authentic. Twitter's gone through a verification process. And so in the middle of all this, they saw all these people getting hacked. They didn't know what else to do except shut down all of the verified accounts because essentially normal people were not going to get this scam posted, right? You or I are not going to, nobody's going to think we're going to double anyone's Bitcoin. The so, common man still got to tweet. Yeah, the, the common man still got to tweet. So for, for a little while, Twitter belonged to the common man, which is not uh, the regular uh, kind of situation there. But the question was, who is behind this? Because to hack this many accounts, 
you would have to do some serious hacking, right? Like how do you find out? And so immediately I thought, and those of us who are into technology, there's no way somebody hacked each individual account. There were too many people. There had to be somebody on the back end who got in through the back end. And it looks like they used a pretty complex social engineering scheme. We don't know all the details at this point to you know, get a hold of employees' logins and then get into these back-end company system tools. And that way, as far as we know, even though they, they only hit dozens of people, um, they probably could have tweeted as anyone. Let me ask you this. You mentioned starting wars. So they did not take over President Trump's account. Very interesting. Had, had they, if they did, they tweet from his account North Korea, I'm bombing you in 10 minutes, or name the country, whatever it may be. I think that's actually real that you could start a war. I mean, somebody in, you know, the leadership in North Korea sees that and say, well, we're going to bomb you first. Yeah. And hit the button, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's a crazy, crazy thing to think about. I mean, we talk about the influence of social media, but we don't really realize the true influence until something like this happens. And Twitter's response, I'm not going to say it was slow, but you know, these things come in, it takes a while to get feedback to figure what's going out. There was definitely plenty of time. um, And I think it primarily started after the stock market would close. But that was the number one thing I thought about, right? Like he yeah. took over Elon Musk's account. All he has to do is tweet something like, I'm selling Tesla, right? And you short that stock or it goes in the other direction, depending yes. on the news. And somebody is an instant millionaire, but somebody else is instantly broke. Very true. And so I think it did happen after the close of the stock market, which is also kind of interesting was like, did they time it that way? You know, was there a specific goal in mind other than just get Bitcoin or was there more intelligence around this? But yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that it seems like that, you know, they figured out they could do it, do it again and uh, go for something bigger. Yeah, small-minded criminals here when you think about the fact that it resulted in 100K, but, you know, criminals. So the last bit of news for this week that I was really interested in, based on our earlier podcasts where we talked about cars, I'm not really sure how much Chris will be interested in this one, but for all my uh, people out there that love cars, this is the week of the Ford Bronco debut. And the Ford Bronco is back after 23 years. There's only a couple each year that are like huge car releases. There was the new Camaro. um, I'm sorry, the new Corvette, excuse me. The new Corvette that came out um, not too long ago or was announced not too long ago. But it's also personal to me because I am the owner of a 2019 Chevy Blazer. And the Blazer, like the Bronco, is one of those somewhat iconic nameplates that Chevy decided to bring back a couple of years ago. And when they did, they brought it back to a lot of people, well, let's just say not being very happy with them because the Blazer came back as a crossover and not the kind of rugged off-road vehicle that people wanted it to be. Now, I love it as a crossover. Crossovers sell like crazy. 
in 2020. And, and I think that's why GM did it. It's part of their kind of brand strategy. However, you know, people weren't happy. So Ford went a different direction with the Bronco to appease those diehards. And they brought it back as kind of a rugged off-road vehicle. So for those of you who don't know, the Bronco was around from 1965 until 1996. And so since then, there has been no Ford Bronco in the lineup. Chris, do you know maybe the most iconic sighting of a Ford Bronco? Who are you talking to right now? A sports guy, right? Come on. Of course. <laughs> you're not a car guy, but you're a sports guy. Yes. Uh, A.C. Cowling driving O.J. Simpson down the freeway in Los Angeles in that Ford Bronco with O.J. in the back talking to the police with a gun to his head. Yeah. And that's kind of lived in infamy as, you know, a kid. I remember watching that chase and the Ford Bronco. So the funny thing is that this model really was beloved, like a lot of models that have been done away with. And so I always wonder just in my marketing mind, like if this many people loved it, why did it ever go away, right? <laughs> like everybody talks about it like they want to buy it, but if they wanted to buy it, it probably would still be here. It's right. kind and, of a mystery. I mean, and now, you know, there are going to be some people who go out and buy this new Ford Bronco in white uh, as a little bit of a joke. Um, yep. But ultimately, I mean, what you have it down here, uh, 30K for the base model, uh, a new Ford Bronco. I, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's going to become a great seller by any means. Yeah, I don't know who really buys the base model, but this kind of goes back to who this is for. So I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, this is a body-on-frame SUV. So I'm going to get a little nerdy here. And I'm going to make a disclaimer. I love cars, but I'm not a true car guy, right? Like not like some guys out there that know cars have followed cars. I'm more on the consumer end of it. But it's a body-on-frame SUV. And the reason why that's a big deal is because there's very few of them anymore or they're becoming less and less. Most crossovers like the one I own, the Blazer, are what they call a unibody. It's one piece. But the body-on-frame SUVs are typically more rugged. And so you still see that in some of the larger ones out there, but the big one that everybody talks about is the Jeep, right? The Jeep has owned the off-road space and continues to own the off-road space. So in the design, in the look, in the marketing of this, there is absolutely no doubt that Ford is going directly after the Jeep and the Jeep owner more than anything. And so to get back to who buys this $29,000 base model, because that's below the average price of a new car these days, which I think is now in the mid thirties. I had somebody say something, which I thought was interesting is that Jeep enthusiasts in the Jeep realm buy base models quite a bit because there are so many aftermarket and custom parts that they essentially just buy it, gut it, and then put on all of their own stuff. Got it. And so it's a cheap entry level, and then they add piece by piece at a time. And that's something that I had never thought about, never owning a Jeep. Uh, the only pieces I put on uh, 
my base model car is a new uh, license plate frame and maybe a uh, a little metal emblem for uh, my alma mater. So yeah, I'm as I said, not a car guy, but you know, you talked about the, having the Blazer back in the day. My first car was a used GMC Jimmy. Yeah, also uh, an iconic car, and I think some people with Chevy and GM are still holding out hope that. Um, or GMC uh, are holding out hope, excuse me, that they'll bring it back as more of an off-road vehicle rather than a crossover. But, you know, this has a bunch of different trim levels and it goes all the way up to $68,000. Well, starts at $68,000 for this first edition Bronco. There's only 3,500 of them being made. I have a friend who got in the pre-orders for the first 3500 and he's pretty psyched thinks maybe it will appreciate in value because it's a limited edition but i mean the good news is hey you can get into it pretty cheap if you like it but still the average one of these i'm thinking you add any features you're going to be between 40 and 60 thousand dollars right in, in the middle of that pack betting on what trip level who takes a forty to sixty thousand dollar vehicle off roading, and you know the jokes are already being made that most of these are probably going to sit in the driveway, mm-hmm. just like every other crossover. So, you know, is it really a good use of your money? I guess is the question. So OJ Simpson goes on Twitter, shows everybody his brand new two thousand twenty Ford Bronco in white. Good for business, bad for business if he does that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. But I think the old adage of no publicity is bad publicity <laughs> may be there. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, I just am afraid for Ford that once again, there'll be a lot of excitement around this. But the amount of people off-roading and off-roading with this level of vehicle, um, they're going to have to do to sustain it, some serious cutting into Jeep. And the Jeep fan base is super loyal. So I'm always glad to see new cars on the market because I'm fascinated by them. And the interior looks absolutely amazing. I mean, it's like, I would love to go on a safari in one of these. So you've said before that your opportunity to drive new cars was renting them. Yeah, I would love to rent this and take it off road for an adventure, but I'm just not sure if it's going to be, you know, something that ends up in my driveway one day. Now that's where I will get to drive uh, a new Bronco eventually. I'm sure whenever sports start back up for real, uh, I'll hopefully be back on a plane and back uh, picking up a rental car and heading to uh, to a stadium to broadcast. But for now. Uh, I'm broadcasting video game baseball. Uh, It's called Major League Botball. Uh, You'll find the account on Twitch at MLBotball. This is an idea by Garrett Hall. Uh, He is the founder and CEO of ResScore.com. And that's a website that applies an analytic approach to the employment process. But he just at his core is a huge baseball fan. And, you know, we got to March, mid-March. We've talked about it several times where the sports world shut down. And that included Major League Baseball. And he just couldn't stand the idea of not having baseball to watch 
come opening day. So he threw this idea out there. I'm going to simulate every single game of the 2020 season, all 162 for every team. I'm going to do CPU versus CPU, a true simulation. This isn't going to be people behind the controls. Um, and not only that, I'm going to show it all live on Twitch. And I'm going to bring in live broadcasters to call the game. So usually when you play MLB The Show, you get the computerized voices. These guys, Matt Beskurgeon is one of them. He's taped thousands of lines and the computer knows which to insert. And it, it basically sounds like real play-by-play. But in this case, it is real live broadcasters. Some are professionals and I'm one of them. I've had a great time calling fake baseball. Some of them are aspiring to be broadcasters in the future. And some of them have no ambition towards it at all. They just love the game and want to call some, some baseball. So, you know, this lasts 12 hours a day, every day on Twitch. And not only that, you've got general managers making trades, adjusting rosters, taking the place of their favorite team's GM. This is all done on a volunteer basis, of course. On Twitch, you can make some money. There's, there's some streamers on there, Aaron, who make it a true career. I mean, they're, they're getting subscriptions, they're getting donations, and you can actually make a really good amount of money streaming video games. In this case, Garrett didn't want any of that. He is raising money for charity every week. And it's being voted on by this community, this major league botball community on which charity is the beneficiary every week of the season. Yeah, it's very interesting as someone who doesn't really follow baseball very much and doesn't follow video games very much. I think I probably haven't watched 162 baseball games in my life. In fact, I would probably bet that pretty, uh, pretty substantial money there. I did get the fortunate opportunity to go to the World Series when the Rangers were in it, and that was amazing experience. Right, Anyone who's gotten to go to a World Series, it's just kind of a – a bucket list moment, even if you're not a huge baseball fan. But I think the last time I played any video game baseball was around 1987. So I would have been six years old. And I believe that's when RBI baseball first debuted for like NES. So uh, I was shocked to learn in this interview that, you know, there's really only one major franchise of baseball video games, at least on, I guess, PlayStation, I think is what we talk about, and how far it's come. When I watched some of your games, it looks like you're at an actual game, which is just absolutely astounding. You know, the graphics are great, and obviously your announcing is great. So you could probably trick somebody if their vision wasn't too good to thinking they were watching their favorite team and everything was fine and we were living in a normal world. Well, that's, you know, what I love is that we're diving into this and all, most of the announcers, including me, we forget the real world. We totally immerse ourselves in this major league bot ball universe. COVID does not exist Opening day happened as it was supposed to, and each team is playing their full 162 games instead of 
just 60. And next week, real baseball, real Major League Baseball starts up again, and each team's going to play 60 games. And until, unless things change, they will play all of those games in front of empty stadiums, no fans. Yeah, you know, a shortened baseball season isn't something I'll say that I'm totally opposed to. I've always thought the baseball season was a bit long, but I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to learn about botball. It's kind of changed my perspective about some of these true baseball guys and how far, you know, kind of they would go to preserve a baseball season. So let's get into our interview with the botball gang guys, Eric Garment, Mark Colley, and Justin Rock. All right, we're going to go around the horn with our three guests tonight, and we'll start with Eric Garment, who up until tonight, actually, I just knew is big fund, and he handles a lot of the maintenance of the league, those roster changes that we talked about, the maintenance, the setup of everything. And Eric, you don't really have a whole lot of broadcast experience, so what drew you to Major League Botball? Uh, I was turned on to it like uh, right at the end of March a co-worker of mine told me that it was going on it seemed like the kind of thing I'd be interested in uh, he knew that I had uh, done broadcasting in college hadn't really done any of it since and you know it was kind of the sort of thing that would be up my alley so I looked into it and I was just like this seems fun this seems like a way to have uh, you know some sort of baseball adjacent product in my life uh, at a time when it was unclear when actual baseball product would be re-entering um, so I just kind of jumped in feet first. I was like, okay, I'll pick up a game next day. And in the very early days of it, there were, you know, not as many people doing it as there are here on, you know, July 16th. We're in the middle of July now. And we've had, you know, I'd say probably Mark, Mark would give you a better answer. I'd say we probably have had in the range of the high double digits to the low triple digits number of people pop in, call either one game or, you know, double digits uh one guy's called it into triple digits so far i i think um so i was just drawn to it because it just seemed like a fun thing to do and a way to like you know have a little fun pretending to broadcast a baseball game which i hadn't done in almost uh seven years when i did that and we're gonna get a little bit more about what baseball starting for real means for this botball community in general, but for you personally, Eric, your day job is concentrating on the MLB.TV product. So how much is your world about the change with games starting next week? Uh, it's actually already picked up. Um, a bunch of teams have started streaming uh, intra-squad games, little just scrimmages they're doing as a way to just draw eyes and generate content. Um, you know, actual summer camp exhibition games between teams on television and radio are starting this Saturday. Uh, there's going to be five days of those, and then it's just headfirst uh, into the regular season a week from tonight. So, you know, it's definitely going to ramp up really fast. There's a lot of kind of, you know, caution and worry about, you know, guys are still getting – COVID-19 guys are still getting sick. Uh, we, we're all able to you know, work remotely. So none of us are, it's not like we have to go into the office to do this. We can you know, do it from the comfort of our own homes, but it just means that there's going to be, you know, all of a sudden um, 
you know, a lot more to do compared to the past few months where it's just been, you know, quality assurance, testing, just updating documents, you know, taking the, uh, the time that we had available to us. And now it's, you know, full bore, uh, you know, just jump right into uh, regular season operations. Mark Colley, you're our first uh, Canadian guest here on the podcast and you have one of your own. We'll put it, the link in the show notes. Section 138 is the name of your show. And other than that, you didn't have a whole lot of broadcasting experience, but you're getting that now. And you're also the chief scheduler. And I got to imagine this is supposed to be fun, but trying to make the trains run on time and organize all these people got to be frustrating too. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we've kind of just figured this out on the fly, but yeah, way back to the beginning after opening day, I volunteered to, you know, do the schedules for the next week and it's just um, morphed from there. But I'd say I really got into this. I, there was a bunch of different, you know, simulations of baseball that were floating around, I think in mid-March, late March. Um, and a lot of them still going on today, obviously, you know, you have baseball reference simming this season. Um, you have other simulations, but I think what makes Botball unique is the fact that it's with live broadcasters um, and it is more of a community than I think other simulations are. So that's what drew me to it. And I'm enjoying doing the scheduling for it. Justin Rock is the pro of the group here. Uh, what, eight years now of minor league baseball? Should have been with the Daytona Tortugas here this season, if not for COVID-19 calling, what, about 140 games? Uh, instead, you're calling simulations on your computer at home. But I imagine this is something, for me at least it, it is, to get some reps and keep exercising that broadcasting muscle. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, that's been the biggest thing, trying to find ways to, to stay involved and, you know, keep the voice moving and, you know, keep the skills sharp throughout the course of the wild times that is COVID-19. I was supposed to go down to Daytona, you know, three or four days before the world stopped. I think it was a Thursday uh, that Rudy Gobert incident happened between Oklahoma City and Utah. And I was getting ready to wake up that next morning and send an email, make some phone calls and figure out what's going on. And before I could even do that, I woke up to an email from our president uh, saying, hey, stay put. And sure enough, uh, later that day, Major League Baseball put the season on hold, which uh, in turn turned minor league baseball in, uh, into their cancellation, ultimately, of the season. Uh, but got uh, connected to botball through a couple of uh, colleagues of mine, Sammy Levitt, uh, who's the voice of the Amarillo Sod Poodles in AA in the Texas League, and uh, John Vittis, who I've actually done a game with in Botball now, who I work with in the FSL for the Charlotte Stone Crabs, and saw them doing a minor league Monday and, you know, figure, you know, hey, might as well reach out. I haven't been doing much of anything. I, I've been looking for things to, you know, occupy time and mostly, you know, sitting around the apartment uh, doing much of nothing and, you know, got connected and, you know, started getting involved and, you know, calling games and getting back acclimated behind the mic and been a lot of fun. Meet some uh, people, you know, who actually had some, you know, mutual connections and uh, just been a lot of fun to, to, you know, just stay involved somewhat in the realm of baseball in a year that's been so unusual. I should have known you and I would have the mutual connection of Sammy Levitt in the uh, minor league broadcasting community there. I hired him to call a college volleyball tournament 
uh, back in the day when he was with the Corpus Christi Hooks. But before the minor league baseball season, Justin, you were calling Army women's basketball and have been doing that for a few years. So tell me, tell us about that. Was the Patriot League done at that point uh, when all the tournaments got canceled? Yeah, it was really interesting how that sort of unfolded. And I'm very lucky that I never had COVID-19. Um, so our season was winding down, you know, much like every other college basketball, uh, you know, program during that time was gearing up for, you know, the conference tournament and the conference tournament had begun. And we were lucky the Thursday, you know, obviously we just talked about where stuff had happened and everything stopped. That Monday, we were playing the top C Bucknell in the Patriot League tournament and got eliminated in that game. And that Monday was the last day that they got to play in that tournament because it was, uh, you know, that Thursday they were supposed to play uh, the other two semifinal games, mm -hmm. ultimately play the championship on Saturday. And ultimately, of course, you know, that all got wiped away uh, by, you know, everyone testing positive and all the other issues that, you know, fell in line after that. So luckily for us, you know, our season ended. So our girls sort of had some real closure, you know, the seniors had some closure to the end of their season, but on the other hand, we were in three different cities in less than a week. You know, I was in Baltimore, uh, you know, back in the New Jersey area, Boston, Massachusetts and central Pennsylvania, you know, all within the span of a week. You know, while this was beginning to, you know, really percolate within the United States. So we were very lucky that uh, none of us ended up with it. And uh, it was just all a very crazy time. And lucky our girls got to have some sort of closure to their season while many other athletes, uh, both spring and winter sports, didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, no doubt. The I was calling the Conference USA uh, first round women's game on that Wednesday for ESPN+. Plus. And then I was supposed to call the men's quarterfinals the next day. And, of course, that morning got the call. No broadcast, no tournament. We're done. And, uh, yeah, those teams, no closure. That's a really good point that you close your season with either a win or a cancellation. So, very strange. Yeah, it's been just a very weird time in that sense. And also the other instance, talk about cancellations. You know, working for the Daytona Tortugas, there's still so much, you know, up in the air when it comes to the minor league baseball aspect of which teams are going to be on the chopping block, uh, you know, with this proposed uh, subtraction of teams in minor league baseball. And we were on the initial list. You know, they made some uh, securements with the city uh, to make adjustments to the ballpark to really be able to adjust to what major league baseball would mo want more for their players uh, going forward. Uh, but with 140 games being canceled this season, you know, the unsure uh, nature of 2021. And last year we had the last three games of our regular season canceled because of Hurricane Dorian. So, you know, it's a weird thing to think about. But there's a, there's a chance awfully that the last 143 games in uh, the franchise's history could be canceled. So – I'm kind of the odd man out here because Chris introduced me to what was going on and I'm not into gaming and I'm going to maybe take a hit for this. Despite my collection of hats, I'm not really that into baseball. So uh, I was raised in a house that didn't like sports. I know that sounds horrible, right? But I, I was in Chicago. So I have a Cubs hat from when I was a kid 
And then I moved into White Sox territory. And then my family was from Red Sox territory. And now I live in Texas. So I've shown Chris my collection of hats. But that being said, who's attracted to this kind of a community in terms of watching you know, other than the people who are actually announcing it, I mean, are, are they video gamers? Are they just diehard baseball fans? Who, who's been interacting with you guys? And, and this is for anyone. Uh, I would say just from like getting a, a sense of the people that have uh, become regular fixtures in uh, the Twitch chats during the streams, as well as people that have like joined the actual Discord channel to uh, kind of interact with the community it definitely skews more towards baseball fans than anything else uh because baseball is you know a, a very strange you know it's this like old pastoral sport um and it's got a different appeal than sports like basketball or football or hockey and i don't know if you know you know, National League bot hockey or, na or, you know, or the National Botsketball Association would work the same way that uh, Major League Botball does because there's just, there is just something unique about baseball and the way you interact with baseball as a fan, as a student of the game, as someone employed within, uh, you know, the structure of baseball that I, you know, ha having worked in baseball for multiple years now like it's not the same when you're looking at it as like hockey or basketball or anything else so i think it's just trying to latch on to that one thing that's missing especially because this all happened right as everything was ramping up you know nfl was all done nba nhl yes obviously they had to uh suspend their seasons and they're in the process of getting them back up but baseball didn't even get the chance to start. It was just spring training. And all of a sudden it was just this uncertainty of what will 2020 look like for the major league baseball regular season. And it also draws the, the kind of person I think who's very invested in baseball. Even if you're just invested in one team, like you're a diehard Rangers fan or a diehard Pirates fan or a diehard Royals fan, anything like that, you know, you, you don't need to be, uh, you, know, you don't need to know everything that's happening across all 30 teams to enjoy the product. Even if you just watch for one team, we had, uh, you know, one guy who made was, you know, any, any nationals broadcast was appointment viewing. He was there for it. Uh, and then we have other people who have, you know, some people have sat in the stream all day. Eric, I think you had mentioned the difference of this community or how you found this community versus others. Can you tell me a little bit more about why this is different? And, and you kind of answered one of my questions there um, just a moment ago when you guys talked about other sports, because I really wondered, is anyone else trying to do this? But anyway, back to Eric, um, can you tell us what attracted you? What is the community like? How are you guys connecting, you know, the chat groups or what's the connection like there beyond just sitting in front of a screen and, and watching virtual baseball? Sure. I think it's, uh, you know, the, the same sort of thing. Uh, I, I can't speak for other fan bases, but definitely I know there are like, you know, sub communities of fan bases in different corners of the internet. There's like, you know, like, you know, I'm wearing a Mets shirt right now. So there's like, you know, Mets Twitter, Mets Reddit, and there are all these sub communities. So this is just kind of like a catch all sub community just for people who've latched onto this, uh, this, this broadcasted simulation because 
while you know some teams are doing uh you know the occasional stream uh like you know i know the mets for example they were they were broadcasting every game of the season uh with the occasional uh booth appearance um and then there are other uh teams that have done you know show streams i know um you know there was the players league there were a couple of different uh situations where like major league players played the show uh, they had a tournament some of it was broadcast uh by like actual broadcasters but that was different than this where we're taking uh you know what would have been in the 2020 season and presenting it as the 2020 season which i don't think any other uh streaming outlet you know media outlet has done or tried to do to the like full extent that we've done with this community. And I think that's part of what has been appealing to people is, you know, you, we, we talk about the players as if they're actually having these seasons, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, Cespedes, you know, came back from his ankle injury May 1st and he stunk it up for three weeks or, Oh, you know, the D backs called Seth beer up early, but he's killing it. And you know, we're, we're in July, we're manufacturing trades. We're, you know, working the hot stove. And so we're trying to just, go you know full immersion into the uh into the simulation and that's what i like the most is just fully getting into it and being in that bot ball universe during a game and mark when you're you're plugged in to all these different broadcasters and i kind of what's the percentage of guys who will kind of break that fourth wall and remind people that we're playing a video game versus guys like me who just like to, you know, forget it. We're in a world without COVID-19 right now, this bot ball universe and uh, acting like everything is, is happening in real life. Yeah, I'd say obviously the, the whole goal of doing ML bot ball is to provide some sort of substitute to normal baseball. So I think it's very few and far between where you have kind of the fourth wall being broken because you're watching it for the immersion. And um, I think baseball fans, especially, obviously, as a baseball fan, I would say this, but we're very fanatic. We're very intense. You know, there's 162 games, so it's a full-time job to watch and pay attention to baseball. Um, so I think just having that and having that immersion um, is definitely something that has been what ML Botball has substituted for a lot of fans. And it's, it's fun just to make a world of its own. I find myself now, as things are ramping up in the real real world, confusing ML Botball stats and performances with how players are going to do this season. I'm like, oh, Vladdy for the Blue Jays, yeah, he's going to have, you know, kind of a mediocre season, only hit nine home runs through the first half. <laughs> um, no, sorry, that's the wrong universe. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely enjoyable to, to kind of watch these two um, emerge simultaneously. So I knew there were baseball nerds, but this is like a whole new level of kind of sports nerddom here, right? When you're reenacting digitally sports, um, have you had any, maybe I'll ask you, Justin, have you had any friends or family members kind of ask you what this is about and think it was kind of strange? Yeah, it, it was definitely interesting trying to explain to people. I mean, last night, you know, my dad works as an accountant and, you know, Yesterday was tax day in the United States. So they find, you know, he and his coworkers finally, you know, got through the big rush of getting everybody's taxes filed. And, 
you know, he, one of his uh, bosses calls him, you know, asking about where he can listen to him and his son can listen to me last night and trying to explain where to find it, what it is and what it was, was not exactly easy to someone in my dad's age bracket. Uh, yeah. So it, it's been interesting in that regard. I think it's been more of the generational gap. You know, I can explain it to somebody in my age group, you know, who also plays MLB the show for fun, whether, you know, they're into the simulation thing or not, you know, I can explain, okay, I'm doing like a game of the show and like they understand, but, you know, trying to explain to my parents and my parents trying to explain to uh, their generation, it's a little more uh, tricky and uh, get a little more phone calls to say, uh, hey, can you explain this to them and all that stuff. So that, that factor has been very interesting and, in, uh, you know, trying to explain it to a, to a wider uh, breadth of people. I opened up to people in uh, our Discord community about kind of my prep. And I basically treat this like I would a normal broadcast. Like if I had Texas A&M versus LSU tomorrow, I would be looking up every story I can find on these guys. I would be just going through pages and pages of notes. The only difference being for this is I don't get to have those conversations with coaches and players. But Justin, for your part, I mean, when you're calling Daytona or, you know, on any of the previous minor league teams you got, they, you kind of have your set notes for the team you see every day. And then it's a lot of preparation for the team you haven't seen very much. So just how much are you preparing for a bot ball broadcast versus if you were doing a Tortugas game tonight? Uh, it's really interesting. I feel like I've actually done, you know, a fairly comparative amount of prep work just because I think it's something that's just naturally ingrained in myself as it probably was ingrained with you in terms of being a broadcaster and you never want to be unprepared and you never know what's going to happen in a game regardless especially in baseball whether it be virtual or real life anything can happen at any given time so you like to be prepared uh, for what you may not know during a during a situation so I feel like I, I've prepared a fair amount but I've also felt uh, a need to not prepare too much just because you also have to keep in mind, you know, going back to my days as a kid, you know, my first start as a bro uh, broadcaster was broadcasting video games to myself in my basement, you know, as, you know, a teenager uh, growing up in New Jersey. So these games also move at a much faster pace, you know, instead of a three hour game, it's only about an hour and a half, an hour, 40 minutes. So, you're trying to condense, you know, you're trying to gather all this information like you would for a three hour game and it's only 90 minutes. So I've tried to, you know, limit the amount of information I gather to just something that I feel like could really drive a conversation or just be something that could be funny or entertaining that can, you know, garner some sort of reaction and, and you know, the Twitch chat or whoever I'm calling with and just try and make it uh, as fun and it, an atmosphere for however long I'm on the mic. Eric, uh, I'm a nerd as well, but I'm a technology nerd. <laughs> See, I don't know if Eric's taking your premise, by the way. I don't know if he likes you calling him nerd. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, He's okay with it. All right, we got the thumbs up. <laughs> I'm a technology nerd, so I'm fascinated by, you know, kind of what makes this happen. So can you explain to me a little bit more about, like, what this platform is? I know a little bit about Twitch just from kind of being in the tech industry, but I, I don't, you know, avidly, I'm not avidly on there. Um, but also just kind of how the game works and, and how all this is happening, 
you know, in this kind of virtual universe? Sure. So I'll, I'll explain it to the best of my ability. So, I mean, I, I actually have never really been a regular Twitch viewer. This has been the most I've interacted with Twitch ever. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it is a platform where people can stream. It is generally video game streams. I'm sure other people have done other things. It is largely video games. Uh, and some people have made entire careers uh, out of becoming very popular Twitch streamers and have signed, you know, multi-year contracts with Twitch. Um, but for our purposes, uh, what we're doing um, is our, uh, we, call, we call him the janitor. He's basically the person who, without uh, his uh, investment initially in a PlayStation 4 and a copy of MLB The Show, neither of which he owned uh, prior to all this starting, uh, it is basically a, a 30-team franchise uh, save file of MLB The Show that um, we so that we play the games. It is CPU versus CPU. There is no human element. So we are just calling what the computer is doing. Um, and the games are streamed from uh, Garrett's PlayStation through Twitch. And we also stream to other platforms as backups. We have streamed to YouTube uh, and Periscope sometimes, but Twitch is our primary platform. Um, and I can't, I can't think of any better way to explain. Oh, well, it also runs, yeah. So it runs through um, the, it is, so I, I, I barely know how to put it together as a sentence. So the feed goes through our Discord where, we, where everything runs out of. And we call the game out of a Discord broadcasting channel with no game audio. So we're really just talking to each other. Or if you're doing a broadcast by yourself, you're just talking to yourself for an hour and a half. And it, the stream picks up the broadcast audio that we're giving out, the play-by-play -play and the color commentary, adds it over the just the raw sound of the game. So there's no broadcasters coming out of the game like there normally would. Uh, the, you know, the Matt Vaskersian, Dan Plesak, um, and the other one, because I can't think of his name right now. Um, so we basically supplant the in-game uh, broadcast track with our own live announcing is the best way I can put it. So maybe a clarification question, um, and I'll ask this one to you, Mark. What is MLB The Show for those of us like myself that are not in the know? We're going that far on deep background. <laughs> well, I might not be the best person to ask because I have I think the last version of MLB The Show I played was 14, but it is – you know, the, the MLB video game um, that's on the PlayStation. Game, huh? it, is, yeah. it is the video game. Um, yeah. okay. there, there used to be um, a competing major major platform title uh, called uh, the, from the 2K series mm -hmm. saying that runs um, MLB, or sorry, NBA 2K, which is like the leading one there and actually yep. the only one there now. Um, and at a certain point, the uh, the 2K baseball series became so bad and had fallen so far behind the show that they just gave up on making it. <laughs> they just stopped making it. So until um, Major League Baseball recently came out with a re, uh, kind of a refitted and a modern version of its old RBI baseball game for consoles, the show was the only console game and it was only available uh, for PlayStation. There is an agreement in place that is going to bring the show starting in 2021 to non-Sony uh, consoles. But for multiple years, uh, up until including this year, like the only 
full like full depth, full season, full everything video game baseball experience you could get was the show. And for people like myself who like that's one of the only games I buy every year when I was upgrading from a PlayStation 2 to a PlayStation 3 or from a 3 to a 4, the question was like, well, do I still want to play the show or do I want to just let it go? And the answer was the show. So you get a PlayStation because that's what you need to have in order to play it. Now, on a higher level, I guess, and I know this is going to sound a little bit braggadocious, but you know, Justin and I are, do this for a living. There are going to be some other guys who I think hope to be doing it for a living. And Mark, what's the quality control aspect of that? I mean, you've got a ton of people maybe who have come to you and said, I want to do a game. What do you do as far as vetting, if anything, before somebody can do uh, their first broadcast? Right. Well, at the beginning, like I said earlier, we were just figuring everything out, you know, throwing it against the wall, see what stuck. So at the beginning, it was really first come, first serve. But we've started slowly rolling out ways to, you know, maximize, you know, the best broadcasters in the best time slots, keeping in mind that, yes, this is a community that loves baseball and that's the ultimate goal of it. But at the same time, we are people are watching um, what we put out. So I'd say one thing that we started doing is, um, maximizing the time slots. So our most popular time slots are in the evening. There's a nine o'clock game, 715 game. Those are probably the highest viewership. So that's typically where the top broadcasters go. Um, and, you know, if it's your first time, you can go to mlbotball.com slash schedule and sign up to call a game and, of course, join our Discord. But um, we'll probably put you in some of the the, the less popular times until, you know, you have your footing under you, you get used to the technology as we've been talking about, which is, um, I wouldn't say totally intuitive, although it's very easy with Discord to call the game. And then um, now for new broadcasters, we require a mic check um, just before you get in the booth to, you know, test the quality of everything, make sure everything's working technically. But yeah, it's, it's really there's so many people who have never done anything like this before. And um, that's what makes it a lot of fun. Um, and I think it's surprising. Like I had never called a game before, uh, but here I am. And I don't know if I'm any good at it, but you know, it's fun to do anyways. So. So now I can go for that easily abandoned dream that I had when I was 16 years old of being a sportscaster. <laughs> yeah. It's anyway. nice to, to make believe for a little bit. Just imagine. You don't like video it. games and you don't like baseball. So <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> well, you know, I grew up near ESPN. I've told you this. Yeah. Um, but I was a basketball fan as a kid. So I should say my dream was more to be a you know, a basketball announcer, but I thought, you know, ESPN anchors, they just read off the, the teleprompter, right? I don't actually have to know anything. I just, I just read stuff. Unfortunately, my voice wasn't as deep as Chris's. So somebody pretty early on smacked me down and said, don't waste your time, man. It's There's not. a little matter of writing and presentation and yeah, ad-libbing and, you know, some other stuff that goes into it other than just reading off a teleprompter. Uh, Justin, for, you know, you get some of these uh, people broadcasting with you who are fairly new, may not have called much of anything. I mean, for, for you, I imagine it's a teaching moment too. I mean, you can mentor a little bit to these guys who, you know, we have some great, <laughs> we have some great guys in this who if you didn't know it, you'd have no idea that they were high school age. Like I, I did a game with a couple of guys and I tell my wife, you know, 
their junior and senior in high school. And, and she had no clue. Like they could be in a, in a booth for a national network any day now for as good as they sounded. But, you know, Justin, you still have to kind of walk these guys through it a little bit, the process and how to be a better broadcaster. Yeah, no, that's definitely part of it. And, you know, just going back to that point about, you know, these kids being high school age, you know, a little jealousy there too, you know, thinking about if I was in their position, you know, and these were things available to me at, at their age, I would have totally hopped on board of that, especially uh, during this time frame where, you know, the sports world and everything, you know, was so unusual and life had seemed to be at a standstill. So, yeah, I think that part is fantastic that these young broadcasters have an outlet to, you know, really sort of try things out in a more public scale than, you know, like myself at that age where I was doing it to an audience of my parents and whoever had the uh, misfortune of coming inside my house while I was downstairs. <laughs> um, so it's been really nice just getting a chance to, to meet some of these other broadcasters and see which ways I can help them because I would have loved to have, you know, met a broadcaster, you know, in my position or in your position, Chris, uh, you know, at that age to just, you know, begin to learn what the industry is like and, you know, begin to start working on little things that, you know, you don't think about as a kid growing up watching broadcasts on television, regardless of the sport. So that part's been fun. And, you know, when you're working with somebody who's not quite as experienced on the microphone and, you know, maybe doing this more just because they're a baseball fan than, you know, uh, a career, just trying to make it, uh, put them in a situation where, they're more likely to succeed and, you know, thrive and try and make them look good as opposed to either A, overshadowing them and just trying to control everything in the broadcast or B, you know, embarrassing them, which does no good for anybody. I think one of the other great things, you know, you mentioned, you know, you didn't have the technology when you were starting out and calling these video games. Now, I mean, the broadcast looks so good. And if you have a quality microphone, sounds so good where you could legitimately send a tape of this to a potential employer and land a job calling baseball somewhere based on these tapes. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tremendous uh, advantage, especially for a lot of these high school level kids who are just trying to get a foot in the door and just get, you know, sort of a first real job, whether it be, you know, calling high school games for whether it be their own high school or a local high school or, you know, something college-related, working for a collegiate summer league team that's looking for a broadcaster, whether it be this year or down the line, you know, just to have that raw tape of something that's, you know, not on a, an old-fashioned tape recorder, which I'm sure you might have done as a kid, Chris, you know, watching a game on TV or, in my case, doing video games too, you know, to have something tangible that you can cut, you know, is a tremendous advantage. So, Eric, um, you know, the baseball season is about to start. What does that mean for botball? We've been uh, – some of us have been discussing what that is going to mean. Uh, you know, as long as there is interest in the product, uh, we're, we're going to continue to do it. Uh, we're definitely aware uh, that you know, our, uh, our viewership numbers are likely to take a hit because there is going to be actual – tangible baseball product to consume but you know there is always the possibility i'm sure some of us in the community you know we're, we're we uh you know pass the link out just we're gonna probably say stuff like hey you know 
you got multiple screens. You don't need to limit yourself to one. You know, we, we, we can try and be a, a second screen experience for some people, you know, or if, you know, your team's game is over, you know, say you're, uh, you're watching, you know, the Mets and the Braves and on the East coast game ends. And then all of a sudden, Whoa, look at that. It's the Mets and the Braves starting at 1045 on, on botball. You can have more baseball. And because, uh, you know, the schedule is going to follow kind of the normal structure as a schedule would, it's not going to be really spread out across the day. You know, a Tuesday night is still going to have your usual slate of 15 games. Uh, most of the time, obviously, you know, there are going to be some weird schedule machinations, but there is still, uh, I think there's still going to be room in people's days and in the landscape of baseball, whatever tiny niche corner uh, we hang out in, uh, for people to still consume it and be a part of it. The part we haven't really talked a ton about yet is the behind the scenes, how some of us are getting to fulfill another dream and that's acting like a general manager, which, you know, if you have a copy of the game, obviously you get to do that on your own, but here you're actually working with, you know, 29 other GMs too, trying to make trades, trying to find out the best way to improve your team. And for me, I'm the GM of the Rangers and we're out of playoff contention, no shot. And then if we knew there was going to be a future botball season, picking up prospects for later years is, is uh, more interesting, but I don't know yet if we're going to have that. So, you know, going down to the trade deadline, you know, how much are you, how excited are you about that part of it guys? You know, Eric and Mark, I know you're both GMing teams about twisting your rosters and making sure you have the prospects for the future. Mark, you can go ahead first. Yeah. Well, um, I personally didn't want trades in ML Botball. Um, <laughs> I, I I think it's better for when someone, you know, approaches a game, they see their favorite players, even if they are just tuning in for the first time. But it does add an element of fun to it. And we've been talking all along about the community. And that's certainly something that that's adds to being able to, you know, drive your favorite team. And it's fun that it is kind of a consensus decision, at least for my favorite team, the Blue Jays, you know, myself, Justin, EB, a few of us who are involved with the Blue Jays make this decision as a whole. I don't think we've made any trades yet um, because the Blue Jays kind of in a weird spot. And I don't think any of us are too enthusiastic about trading any of the players. But Oh, you've got a great young roster that needs yeah, hot ball to continue yeah. next year. <laughs> There's been some interest in Ken Giles. He's had a really good season, so who knows. But, yeah, it, it it's fun to watch these trades play out and – and watch all these different GMs try to move these pieces. And again, kind of a make-believe season. We're make-believe broadcasters and, and make-believe GMs. And Eric's had to be my sounding board because, you know, for one, I don't own the game, so I don't get some of the back and forth. And for two, I mean, as much as I think about broadcasting, I don't haven't really thought about all the different elements that go into making a trade and making it fair and um, to, to either side. But I'm hoping – that at least I can get some pitching prospects down the line and improve the Rangers for, uh, for 2021. Um, but guys, I mean, ultimately, when it comes to the end of the season, if there's not 2021 bot ball, I mean, it, I hope, I think we're going to stay connected in some form or fashion. I mean, whether it's LinkedIn or just 
you know, in the discord, whatever, but Eric, what do you hope to take away when this is all done? Just kind of the, when you look back on this summer, this weird summer that we've had. I actually want to, I want to uh, pass the rock over to Justin rock uh, because the game before him, it <laughs> looks like it is, it is one strike away yeah. from being over. So I'm we're, sure you might have to taping duck this, and get ready. We're taping <laughs> this on Thursday night for a weekend release, but Justin does have the uh, 1045 <laughs> Eastern broadcast on Botball this evening. Yeah, yes, Gi- the Giants and Dodgers, that uh, that ESPN special coming back from the breaks about to end. So, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of redirect the question uh, to Justin first. You know, how, how, how has this, you know, helped you kind of to cope with, in a way, missing out on a full minor league season with the Tortugas? Yeah, that's a, a great point. You talk about community and – that's one of the things that's, you know, kept me in minor league baseball. You know, for anyone that's been around, uh, you know, the business of baseball, and I'm sure, Eric, you have some sort of a, a semblance of that, you know, it's long. It's arduous. The hours are long, and you sort of end up in a bubble of just your people. And, you know, it's not for everybody. And I know a lot of people who love baseball that worked in minor league baseball and said, this isn't for me and left because you know they couldn't handle the grind of what you know it is 140 plus days and you have very minimal off days and you get this sense of community with the people you're around a lot and that's sort of the thing especially my fellow broadcasters uh who have also called games on botball have missed is just the sense of community and you know being around you know fellow people who love the game as much as you do so that's been fun you know, especially now that baseball is also beginning to pick back up, you know, the, the correlating talks about what's going on uh, in the simulation as well as, you know, stuff that's happening in real time with, you know, whether it be trades or, you know, injuries and whatever is happening in baseball as a whole, it's been very fun to be able to, to have that sense of community again, even though we've been away from the ballpark and, you know, for those of us in minor league baseball will be for the most part away from a ballpark for the entire uh, duration of 2020. Justin, it's been fun. And guys, uh, you know, it, again, this is our silly little thing uh, that we've been doing this summer. And, you know, I'm so glad that I found it and uh, have been able to be part of it for the last uh, month and a half or so. And, you know, in the end it's baseball, it's community. And it's also, and we talked about this off the very top of the show, but we're ra- been raising money for charity. So that's, that's been a great aspect of it as well. I think, you know, Aaron, you talked about earlier how, you know, maybe some friends and family will look at us and say, what are you doing? You're calling video game baseball. You're, I mean, I'm, my wife will look at me, you're staying up an extra hour to look at rosters, to try to figure out a trade. I'm like, yeah, but it's for charity. So <laughs> that's a great part of it. The community is awesome. And, uh, and guys, uh, again, thanks so much for your time tonight. And uh, looking forward to the second half of the season. Yeah, looking forward yeah, for to sure. it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having us. One thing missing during COVID-19 is guys and really anyone taking a road trip to see a ball game it's probably the best part when I've been to see games is just the fellowship and kind of the camaraderie that comes with going to a ball game 
But and you're going to see what's funny, Aaron. A lot of stadiums this summer, including uh, the one closest to us in Arlington, cardboard cutouts of fans. I, the Rangers for fifty dollars a person for $50 a cutout, you can have your image there in the stadium. It all goes to charity uh, to the Rangers Foundation in this case, but you're going to see a lot of cardboard cutouts of fans, just none of the real people. Does it, it come with garlic Parmesan fries? Because I think <laughs> that's been the most interesting part of the last few Rangers games that I've been to. You just aren't a baseball guy. I just don't get you. But, you know, anybody who can't embrace the great game, I just don't quite understand. But we're friends nonetheless, which, you know, still, you know, I'll, I'll keep you around. No, they, they, they were great games. I just can't enjoy any game that, regardless of the sport, where it's 110 degrees out. So I am really be a problem excited. anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about the new stadium. I can enjoy baseball again. I can enjoy the garlic Parmesan fries in an air-conditioned environment. But when I think about baseball, I think about road trips and going to see games. And when I was younger, I lived in Connecticut, so there was no baseball team in Connecticut. I mean, I think there was a minor league team. But um, if you wanted to see baseball, you either went down to New York or you went up to Boston. And I, I have talked about in the past how interesting living in Connecticut was because you had fans from both. You had Yankees fans and Red Sox fans living across the street from each other. Yeah, I remember seeing somewhere there's some town in Connecticut that is like the official cutoff line. Halfway point. Yeah, exactly. The halfway point. And really you get seriously half the town loves the Sox, half of them love the Yankees. And, you know, I'm sure there, yeah, there's a lot of uh, going back and forth. But, you know, I, I, I dislike the Yankees probably more than any team besides the Astros. So I'm glad that you decided to root for the Red Sox during that time in Connecticut. Yeah. Anytime we wanted to go to a game of any sport when I was a kid, you either had to trek it right up to Boston or New York. And so I did get to go to Fenway. I had a friend, a family friend who took me up there and it was an amazing historic visit. And I had times where we went to see basketball games and we had a trek down to the Meadowlands back then in New Jersey. I've never mm-hmm. been to Madison Square Garden. But as an adult, I mean, traveling to go see sports is a huge business. I mean, during college football season, the fans travel really well. Um, even golf. I mean, I know just about every guy, it's their dream to go see the Masters in person or something like that. Yeah. But travel is one thing that has been dramatically impacted during COVID-19. We're starting to see it kick up a little bit. And I've had a surprising amount of folks that I've known that have gone on, on summer vacations. And obviously, that's their prerogative. I hope they're all being safe while they do that. But I know that travel is a big thing to you and your wife. And what has it been like, you know, not being able to travel as much and kind of just, you know, being at home more? Well, yeah, we made the choice to cancel both of our summer trips. And we really, you know, by mid-March when this all rolled out, we hadn't decided on a vacation for just the two of us yet. But we knew we had two family trips. Uh, One of them Every other year on my dad's side, the extended family all goes into one big rent house in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And of all the different family factions, we were the only ones who decided that we don't feel it's right to make this trip. Uh, 
um, just to be in that close of quarters with different family units coming from different places and having to stop along the way on the 10 hour car ride from the Dallas area to Gulf Shores. Um, we made that decision and, you know, it was really hard. I mean, especially, I mean, I kind of was starting to feel really good about it. And then kind of this wave of when they get home, these pictures coming up, the whole family doing things. And, you know, they had the professional photographer take the portrait of the family. And I kind of feel like we were disowned. I mean, <laughs> that's going to be the Christmas card picture and we're not in it. Um, you know, but ultimately, like I said, we just had to make that decision for us and it stinks. Everything about this stinks, but you now it's just the latest in it. Um, and to beat the Texas heat, this was our favorite trip every year, honestly. Every summer uh, for I don't know how many years now, we've been going up to see my mom who lives uh, in the northern Chicago suburbs in Lake Forest and getting to go up there and take a break from the constant six degree temperatures in North Texas. That is the trip I miss the most, honestly, just to get out, be able to get outside and not lose your will to live. Yeah, my my wife and I do a, a similar thing, or we we like to do a similar thing. Though since we've had uh, our children in the last few years, it's a little more difficult to travel with young ones. And you know, we have the bad habit of going to the same places because we like them so much. So early on in our marriage, we loved Southern California. We went there for a honeymoon. Went to Northern California later, and just kind of stayed in California. Then we spent some time going to Las Vegas and we're not, you know, big into what most people would think is the Las Vegas traditional scene, but love food, love shows and entertainment and started going there regularly on a yearly basis before we had children. And then in the last few years, we've started to fall in love with Santa Fe, which is just an amazing place. And you talk about summer heat for those of us who live in North Texas, you can't get to a cooler temperature in a day's drive than Santa Fe from Dallas. It's about a nine hour drive and the temperature is usually 20 to 25 degrees cooler during the height of the day. And in the mornings, it's just amazing. You know, like fifties and sixties when you wake up seventies and low eighties later, but you and Cassie have strategically, I think been kind of mapping out mm -hmm. your travels. I've seen some of these things on Facebook before where you can kind of say, Hey, I've been to so many States and look at me, but what is the update on the Mikoski travel? Well, I have only six of the 50 uh, States left. Cassie has 12. So we're going to have to double up on some of mine for her to catch up. Uh, you know, for me, I benefited a lot from, you know, growing up, our families, my family went on a lot of different vacations to a lot of different places. Um, and for work, you know, I've, I've been sent to a lot of different places that she wasn't able to join me on. And that's probably, those are the ones that she probably gets bothered about more than anything else. Like you get to go to, Montana without me. So now it puts me even one more ahead of her. Uh, I went to Idaho without her and that, you know, made it so she had to catch up even further. Uh, last summer, we did both get check off one for the first time. I had uh, the athletic directors for Christ uh, conference in Nashville. 
And after that was over, Cassie and I went up to Louisville, Kentucky. Neither of us had been to Kentucky before. So, you know, I'm not sure that if we weren't, didn't have this big goal of hitting all 50 that we necessarily would have taken that road trip. But, you know, we were so close. And it's one of those things, you know, we're close. We may as well do it. And went up and spent about 48 hours in Louisville and uh, toured the uh, Evan Williams Distillery. Uh, walked around a great downtown area. Um, really cool um, breweries right along the uh, the water. Um, right next, we didn't, unfortunately, you talked about baseball road trips. The uh, Louisville Bats are the minor league team there. And we they were out of town, so we didn't get to go to a game. But we did tour the Louisville Slugger Factory. Uh, so got to see where the the actual bats themselves are made, which was, you know, for a baseball nut like me, that yeah. was incredible to get to, to see that. So I don't know which I enjoyed more, the Evan Williams experience or the uh, Louisville Slugger experience, but both big highlights of a trip. But that, again, put me with six left. And, yeah, we would have gone down this list um, by the time we decided on one-on-one uh, -on -one trip for just me and her for this summer and we probably would have picked one of those states where either she hadn't been or I had or I hadn't been and uh, knocked it off um, you know Hawaii and Alaska are going to be the toughest ones obviously yeah. um, but I've worked up my airline miles pretty well where I think now that Southwest goes to Hawaii that's actually more within reach uh, and I kind of want to do it before we get too, too old and we can go, go hiking up the volcanoes and, and, and all that stuff. So hopefully that comes, uh, not too far from now. Um, I'm trying to think of what, you know, there's, there's some other trips. Like I've been, I, you talked about road trips for, you know, sports, my dad, my brothers and I went up to Philadelphia for the army Navy football game last fall. Um, I, we had been to Pennsylvania together before Cassie and I had been, but we're going to go back because she wants to see all the Philadelphia historic stuff and the bonus, you can just go right across the river to cross off New Jersey and go right across the river to cross off Delaware. So we'll knock off two more States. Yeah, I've done this in the past. I think that I've hit most States in the North uh, East. And in the South, uh, I think that maybe Mississippi, Alabama might be missing for me, um, not having grown up in the South. But really, I think about it more. I've been such an urban guy in terms of cities for me that I want to go to. And I've been to you know most of the major cities in the United States, I would say at this point, with business travel and personal travel. But there are three pretty big cities that I've never been to. And they stick out like a sore thumb every time I see pictures. And I just saw some folks there this week. So the top one is Miami for an East Coast person like myself that grew up, well, in the Central and then the East Coast. I've never been to Miami. So Orlando, yes, not Miami. Yeah. Number two is Phoenix. So I've been to Arizona, parts of Arizona, but never been to Phoenix. But the big one, the one I want to probably go to more than any in the continental United States, I say at least the lower 48, is Seattle. So I've heard so many things. I've seen so many pictures. It looks so beautiful. And I think that once everything is kind of clear for travel, that that will probably be uh, near the top of my list for places I want to go. Never been to Miami. Most of my time in Florida 
was spent in a very small town, Port Charlotte, uh, which is where the Rangers had spring training. Um, and, you know, I would go there every spring break growing up when my grandfather and then my dad worked for the team. Um, and then, you know, we, we did go to Disney World also. But, uh, yeah, primarily Port Charlotte. Never been to Miami. I, I haven't spent any time in Phoenix proper. It's the suburb surprise where the Rangers now have spring training that I've been a couple of times. And also we did the Grand Canyon trip as kids. Um, Seattle was great, but I did that as a junior high school kid. I think I'd love to go back. Uh, plenty of great things. I, the, the most recent time that I was in Washington, it was for primarily a trip to Portland, Oregon and uh, going to Oregon for the first time. And we went up across the border to go to the observatory at Mount St. Helens, which is incredible to see up close. Um, a long drive from Portland, but worth every second. And uh, that Oregon trip also, we went over to the coast and seaside, really awesome. That was right before Austin was born. Actually, come to think of it, Aaron, uh, that trip to Oregon, Cassie was pregnant with Austin, but we didn't know it yet. We found out when we got back not too long after that she was pregnant and she was, you know, they have these um, fossilized caves uh, that you have to crawl, get on your knees and crawl through uh, right at the base of Mount St. Helens and Cassie's crawling through, making her way through these little caves and uh, did it all while pregnant. We didn't, but we had no idea. Well, one of these days we're going to have to do, Aaron's like Las Vegas picks since that's a, a common <laughs> destination. It's one of the few places that I would consider myself a somewhat expert on. Yeah. Unless you're looking for clubbing hotspots. Cause that's not really my scene. Did that but for my 30th birthday. Um, your 30th birthday. Yeah, All right. That's, that's uh, so eight, uh, nine years ago. No, no, no. Hold on. I'm 41. <laughs> 11 years ago now, man, I'm old. Uh, that, yeah. So that was a great trip. And we actually, the, uh, have you ever, you probably not cause you're so you're high end guy. Uh, you have you ever even been inside the stratosphere? I have. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been inside because they have the, you know, attraction at the top. That's what I was about right? to say. That's what I did for the second that I turned 30 right at midnight. I did the, uh, the ride that shoots you up to the top of the stratosphere tower. Well, then when you get to the top, there's several rides mm -hmm. that go kind of like off the edge. Yeah. And it is to me the most freaky thing you could ever do. <laughs> kind of a sad, I mean, it's kind of a sad place though. I read about it and there are, I want to say over 10 people since that's been in existence that have committed suicide oh my gosh. off the stratosphere. One person came like all the way from Great Britain. Wow. Like, Man, that's a... It's a very kind of strange way, but you are trying to end the show on a dark yeah, note. I'm, try I'm trying to sober everybody up here, but you know, normally when we talk about some of these things that we're into, Chris is into travel. I would like to be more into travel. Mm -hmm. We, we talk about some recommendations. I won't necessarily say this is a, a pick of the week, if you will. But <laughs> one thing I was thinking about is during this time, obviously the travel industry is suffering and there's a lot of people who are employed there. And we have friends specifically that own a travel agency. And it's not something 
that you think of a lot these days is going through a travel agency for your travel, but they do an amazing job and there are things that they know that, you know, you might not know and they can get deals that you can't. So I would just encourage everybody in any industry, but especially if you are going to travel, if you make that decision that, you know, it's safe and things like that, consult a travel professional, especially a local business and, you know, help somebody out. And I think it's just another way that you can kind of help the community during this time. Right, to put the clothes on my 50 state journey, okay? The rules are you have to do something there. You can't just be touching down in the airport sure. and A, making a connection or B, just getting in a car and going somewhere, some other state. Like, and that's the reason I actually originally had New Jersey on a list uh, as somewhere I had been, but I look back on it and it violated the rule. We flew into Newark to go to New York City. So we didn't actually do anything there. So I had to remove it. So it was against the rules. It's kind of a vague rule though. What is do? I mean, it's like take a picture, do something, I guess. Uh, so well, one of the uh, states where I, th I spent the shortest amount of time was on a trip into the Northeast and made a trip, uh, made a trip to the Dartmouth campus in New Hampshire, a long visit there. But on the way, we went across the border and just got a cup of coffee in Vermont. Uh, so that was, you know, one of the shorter ones, uh, South Dakota, we went across the border and went, uh, we went to the top of the Nicolette tower, um, which overlooks Minnesota, North Dakota and South Dakota. It's right there on the border. And that little hike up to the top of the tower was all that we did. So as long as you have some type of activity and driving, we decided doesn't count. So again, if we were driving, let's say we were heading towards um, the East coast and we drove through Mississippi, in that case, it wouldn't count. Yeah, you needed to do something there. The one, the one case, and maybe we can end it here that I would present to you where I'm not sure if I like this rule is the four corners. Are you familiar with the four corners? Uh, is that Nevada, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico? Close. I'm, Utah, okay. Colorado, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. Okay. My geography was off by one state. Sorry. <laughs> and I've actually been to that place with my wife. Yeah. I remember it was a supremely windy day. So being at the Four Corners, the, the actual point, you could take a picture there. It was mm -hmm. almost impossible. It was like out of a movie, like you're getting blown over <laughs> trying to take the picture. But I feel like that counts as being in four states. I really do. I guess you can make an exception. But anyway, it's, it's not, it's your not list, my, yeah, your not list my rules. rules. Yeah. Um, here's what I have left. Alaska, Connecticut. So I'll get all my recommendations from you. Delaware. Yeah, let me go. Let me go through, and you can you can come back. Sorry, uh, Alaska, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, New Jersey, and West Virginia. Well, I'll tell you the thing that you are going to do when we go to Connecticut is I am going to introduce you to the best pizza that you've ever had in your life. And I don't want anybody from New York or Chicago to balk at this. I was actually born in Chicago. But anybody who knows anything about the pizza industry knows that New Haven, Connecticut, adjacent to the Yale University campus, is 
the best place for pizza in the entire nation, if not the entire world. So that's it. That counts for sure. Yes. And oh, yeah. uh, that's what you need to do in Connecticut is eat pizza. And I'll even tell you the place, Pepe's Pizza in New Haven, Connecticut. It will change your world. And yeah, it's life-changing. I've always assumed that my trip up there would be primarily to tour the ESPN campus. Um, I thought I'd get dragged along. Um, the conference commissioners all have an annual meeting up there, and I thought for sure my boss would take me and let me come along with him one time, but that never happened. So now I'll have to do it on my own. Um, but that trip's coming. West Virginia is one of those where it's kind of, you know, not exactly sure where a good place to go would be there. But uh, the other ones, you know, I'm pretty excited about. And we will uh, take those trips as soon as it's safe to do so. Uh, don't, know, don't know a timeline on that, but uh, certainly look forward to getting back. And again, we're going to have to double up and cross off all of Cassie's states that she has left before we hit that 50th for me. So she's made it very clear. We're getting to number 50 at the same time together. And uh, I want to be a good husband and fulfill that. I will not uh, disobey. There you go. Happy wife, for sure. Exactly. Uh, NoLongerNeighbors.com is the website. Uh, be sure to check the show notes on how to find the Major League Botball community. It is not too late. There are a couple of teams that don't have general managers right now. So you can get your fix on controlling a baseball team's roster, make some trades before the deadline hits. Or if you ever wanted to be a broadcaster, here's your introduction. And I hope now that you've said that was a goal of yours that we're going to have a no longer neighbors booth and we'll call a game together before the season's over, Aaron. I am a broadcaster. I have a podcast now, right? I, I am living the dream quite literally. So, Do you want play-by-play -play or the color analyst seat when we do the game together? Oh, definitely more of a color analyst. See, I can't even say it. Those play-by-play -play guys, they need to talk way too fast. And I don't know how they remember all of the players' names. That's just my notes. I have notes. They're all. It's all in front of me. You go to a... Uh, a game that I do in football more than any, but the wall is covered in my notes so I can easily access them. That's, that's the trick. You don't have to flip through a notebook or go through a Word document. Just paste them up on the wall and get to your notes quickly. But that's a little inside baseball for you there. Um, but again, go to the show notes, find the link to the website, get in on the Discord. That's the way to get connected to the community and uh, reserve your spot to uh, broadcast a game and you can request who you broadcast with. So if you heard about it through the podcast and want to, to do a game with me or with Eric Garment on again, on there, he calls himself big fund, uh, Mark Colley or Justin rock and make that request. And you can work with them for a bot ball game. Uh, we will drift off of sports next week, going to focus on the and campaign there is a, a new book coming out next week. So we'll talk to a member of that organization and, of course, get into current events and see what we're into for uh, next week. And by the time we talk, Aaron, there will be real baseball to talk about. So I'm excited about that, too. I got to bust my hats out, all four of them, and decide which team I'm going to root for this season. Pick one. 
you're not allowed to have more than one. You got to go. And since you're in North Dallas now, I think you got to go Rangers and throw the others away. Well, that could be a bit of controversy this year, right? So I don't know. I like to stay away from controversy. You can tell from this podcast, right? All right. Again, nolongerneighbors.com. Check it out. Uh, Tell your friends, share the show on your social media, and we will talk to you next week.